We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, Memorial Day, May 29, 2023, as we bring you a new episode. It was not a good weekend in Detroit for the Chicago White Sox. They had a chance to win the series, but late inning issues, both with the bullpen and on defense, cost the White Sox two games, and they ended up losing three out of four to the Detroit Tigers. The White Sox are 22-33 now, and they're still just six games back of the Minnesota Twins for first place in the American League Central, so they're 11 games below 500. But six games back of first place. So they're closer to first place than getting to a 500, which is odd. But 40 of the next 43 games for the White Sox are against non-American League Central teams. Are the White Sox about to go down the slippery slope and finally kill this 2023 season for good? Or is a spark coming? Liam Hendricks who at 100% could have solved the White Sox late inning issues this weekend, has been activated by the Chicago White Sox and is ready to make his first appearance as overcoming stage four cancer. Joining me to discuss that news, what happened over the weekend, and preview this week's midweek series against Los Angeles Angels is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And Jim... The White Sox try, bless their hearts, with every dark cloud that hangs over this team. They've had the upcoming news about Liam Hendricks making his return, battling cancer, and the news was released Sunday after the game against the Detroit Tigers at the Chicago White Sox. Today on Monday, Memorial Day, are going to be activating Liam Hendricks. We'll know what the other move will be as far as who gets sent down to Charlotte from the White Sox bullpen. But Liam Hendricks has returned for the Chicago White Sox. This might be the best news, at least the first third of the season for the White Sox. It is great news in terms of just you know the, a great human story uh, 
for you know every for a person who's shown himself to be an like extremely generous person, uh, extremely giving with his time to causes and charities and so forth, and and the support he's gotten from his uh, or, or throughout his cancer battle has been you know really heartwarming to see. Now I kind of brace for whether like we've been able to compartmentalize like the uh, following his story and, and following his recovery and being really um, encouraged and enthusiastic for him. That's been separated from everything that's gone wrong at the White Sox. So now we're finally going to see these two stories merge. And I really hope that, you know, whatever happens with Hendricks uh, in terms of his baseball performance doesn't take any of the, uh, the specialness of, the way he's rallied uh, to overcome, you know, stage four lymphoma and all the good he's done along the way and all the good that people have done for him. I'm really hoping that doesn't get lost. Should he struggle? Like, you know, he's coming back from this. We, there isn't a whole lot of precedent in terms of the uh, kinds of performances pitchers have coming back from this, especially in the same season. So like he should be allowed to find himself, even if he doesn't want to admit that, you know, he's been very adamant about like expecting uh, nothing but the best from himself. But, you know, fans should have different expectations because we don't know exactly what to expect. But I hope, you know, given everything else that's gone wrong with the White Sox, that we can still preserve uh, what's been a very uh, just Great story. Uh, you know, it, it's been an, it, it was terrible news, uh, you know, wrecking to him, you know, devastating, I think, to the White Sox on a personal level and also for baseball reasons. But, uh, you know, just everything that's happened to him personally since then and everything he's done has been awesome. So hooray for that, celebrating that. And now we brace for you know, that, that it's not contaminated by uh, the White Sox problems on the field. John Lester, when he went through a similar situation back in the mid-2000s, I know he returned that season, but he did not throw his no-hitter until the following season. Is that correct? If I'm remembering that correct? I think, yeah, I, I want to say he wasn't pitching like that deep in the games his first, uh, you know, in his first starts back. Yeah, we're going to look that up because he was about 23 years old when he was going through this particular situation, this was back in 2007. In 2008, he ended up throwing his no-hitter for the Boston Red Sox. And at age 24, he was able to make 33 starts for the Boston Red Sox. There's just there's not a lot of precedence for this, listeners. In seeing someone overcome stage 4 cancer, go through chemotherapy, return in the same season, and to Jim's point, like we brace... I don't know if we're going to see the same level of Liam Hendricks we have seen the past two seasons, and I don't know if it's necessarily fair to expect that type of performance from Liam Hendricks. He might top at 95, but if you think about it, going through stage four cancer, going through chemotherapy, recovering from that rehab, and being able to throw a baseball 95 miles per hour, we're not talking about the 1% of the human population. We're talking like the 0.1% of the human population that will be able to overcome those things. So that is incredibly impressive from Liam Hendricks, but from a baseball point of view, what we don't know is 95 mile per hour Liam Hendricks as effective as he was the last two seasons 
And if he does come into a high leverage situation, the White Sox up by one run, he's got to close out the game. And here comes Shohei Otani and Mike Trout in this upcoming series. Can Liam Hendricks close the door for the White Sox? And if he can't, how will White Sox fans react to that? I think a 22 and 33 start makes it easier to just swallow that bitter pill if it does come, Jim, to say, eh, mm-hmm. it kind of fits with this season's theme. But if he can close it out, I, I think we could hear a loud, raucous ovation from White Sox fans, especially at home in these next couple of days, especially if he gets a chance to pitch on Monday night and Memorial Day, which should be, I'm not going to say it's going to be a packed crowd, but it should at least be 50% capacity for the White Sox on Monday night. Yeah, we're seeing a little bit like of... I guess what to expect from a guy with a lot of rust with Garrett Crochet uh, coming back and just not having his command looking pretty ragged. The stuff is there in terms of like velocity, but the slider isn't crisp yet. He's his release points kind of all over the place. He's walking a lot of guys. So when people were talking about him as like, Oh, you're going to get late inning help. You're going to get that lefty help that you need when Crochet comes back and knowing the General pattern of guys coming back from Tommy John surgery, usually having better velocity, but needing, you know, a couple months, if not more, to get their you know premium command back and the execution of their pitches back. I, I could see a similar thing happening with Hendricks, just with all the rust and not really facing standard competitive environments in a ramp up period. And, you know, with the pitch data we saw in Charlotte's, that wasn't necessarily crisp. So, yeah, it's going to be, you know, I think we have to lower expectations, but Fortunately, you know, the, the one benefit of him being a closer is that most of the games are decided before they get to him. Like the, most closers who have major league stuff, um, unless they just have like the worst small sample happen to them that shatters everybody's faith. But usually they can be, you know, OK at closing and close out like 80 to 85 percent of games uh, because just it's hard for any team to score two runs in any inning, uh, you know, especially uh, against a guy they just seeing for the first time. Don't see how often throwing hundred percent. So, you know, I think as tough as closing can be, it also offers its own relief because like if the white Sox are flawed, a lot of those flaws will emerge over the first eight innings and he won't really have a chance to impact the game the way he normally does. And so he would come in in a low leverage situation or like an ordinary seventh inning situation to try to get his sea legs under him. So I think there's a way for him to be, you know, uh, kind of matriculate up the leverage ladder and be, you know, get to closing if his stuff is there, but not be thrown into the deep end necessarily and say like, thank God you're back. Close all these games. And if he can't, it's just like, oh, great. He can't do it either. That's what I want to see them avoid. Because Kendall Graven's been fine in the closing role. Joe Kelly, you know, he didn't close out Sunday, but that was partially because of the defense behind him. Uh, you know, a couple of key mistakes by up-the-middle defenders, which you don't want to see. So Yeah, we'll get to yeah. that in so, a moment. Uh, hopefully there are ways that they can pad his arrival and make it so that they can at least test him out beforehand. And, you know, if he looks, if he throws like a 1-2-3 inning on 11 pitches in a medium to low leverage situation, great. Move him up one. If he struggles, he can handle it because he's blown saves before and he can bounce back. You you don't have to worry about the mentality necessary. It's all about the stuff. Back in 2006, on August 23rd, John Lester at age 22, they found the lymphoma. He went through six treatments of chemotherapy. He would make his next start on July 23rd in 2007. So 11-month gap between starts for John Lester in that start at age 23 
He threw 96 pitches, a totally different era, it seems like, in baseball these days. He pitched six innings, struck out six, walked three, and the Red Sox won that game in his return. The following season, he seemed to be back up to full speed for the Boston Red Sox, and he pitched his no-hitter, and we know that John Lester had a very good baseball career. A little bit different story with Liam Hendricks. He's in his mid-30s. He is a closer. Let's see what he could do in one maximum effort inning, and I am sure we we will see him against the Angels. To your point, Jim, I do not think that will be the case with Pedro Grafal. If he threw Alex Colomay into a high-leverage situation, he is going (laughs) to throw Liam Hendricks into a high-leverage situation. He may say pregame that he's not going to do that, but during the game, I am fully expecting Pedro Grafal to throw Liam Hendricks into a high-leverage situation because he can't help himself. Now, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I'm. I, I, <laughs> one note about Lester. I'm fully though. expecting that uh, though from Grafal. Yeah. One note about. Yeah. One note about Lester. I remember when he was in 2007, coming back from Hodgkins, uh, with uh, the Pawtucket Red Sox. Um, you know, he was making rehab starts. The Charlotte Knights are playing out there. I drove out there to see it. And McCoy uh, Stadium, which was this kind of dumpy old field in Pawtucket, but like packed with Red Sox fans because it's only like 45 minutes south of Boston. So they drew really well. And I remember the crowd was really just entirely behind him. It was one of the more special environments I can remember, especially in a minor league park, uh, the whole park going behind him. And I also remember thinking Danny Richard was going to be something because he was off to an awesome start. He had like a 13 pitch at bat that he, that he won. Like I was thinking, this guy's, this guy's a pretty good find here. Uh, I like, you know, maybe he's our second baseman. And uh, 16 years later, we're still looking for that second baseman. Yup. So let's talk about the games that happened over the weekend here to go from one positive. Liam Hendricks is returning to what is just the continuing theme of 2023. What did I say during the playback? Expect the unacceptable. (laughs) Yeah. Expect the unaccepted. Unaccepted. Yeah. Uh, The White Sox lose three out of four in Detroit. And, And I know that they are road games and maybe there needs to be a more serious conversation. If the White Sox are actually better on paper roster wise and the Detroit Tigers, I would like to think that they are, but you can't tell the difference after watching these games in Detroit. And we'll see how it goes next weekend when Detroit visits the Chicago White Sox, but the White Sox had a chance here. They surprised us during the watch party. They're down to nothing. The offense is dead. They suddenly load the bases for Gavin cheats and he comes up big time for the White Sox to clear the bases with a three run double. Joe Kelly comes in He's been hot, blows it, and the White Sox end up losing 7-3 late. Again, offense dead in the water. They're down 4-1 thanks to some nifty base running from Eloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson scoring on a contact play. That never happens for the Mm -hmm. White Sox, and they're leading 5-4. Keenan Middleton comes in, lights out. Kendall Graveman throws six pitches in the eighth inning, gets out of that clean. Then to Joe Kelly, and it was not Joe Kelly's fault because Luis Robert, gold glove defensive center fielder, misplays a ball in the gap, and Tim Anderson, who scored on a contact play, can't defend the contact play on a grounder hit by Javier Baez, which is just like a reoccurring nightmare since Baez has been with the Chicago Cubs. White Sox can't hold the lead in the ninth. And they don't do a damn thing the extra innings offensively. We'll get to that in a moment. And, of course, Detroit does what they need to do with a couple deep flies to center field. They score the game-winning run, and the White Sox lose three out of four. 
Where do you even want to start as far as what happened on Saturday and Sunday? Like, what's the bigger deal here? A Joe Kelly regression or two of the regulars up the middle having their defensive struggles that end up costing the game for the White Sox? I think it's more of the latter. I think it's more of Anderson and Robert not making plays. Yeah, Robert had a, you know, he regressed or he took a step back this series. Like his plate discipline kind of comes and goes. His ability to barrel up balls comes and goes. It was not around uh, this series. And then he makes that uh, misplay in center field. You know, Anderson for the second time in 10 days uh, misplays a contact play, like can't get the exchange rights on a chopper where he has time to gather and throw. He's not like doing it all in one motion. He has time to plant, make an on-target throw. He can't even make the exchange right. So to me, that's more emblematic of the White Sox problems right now is because like there isn't a star performance right now on the field for them. Uh, like Lucas Giolito is probably the closest, I think in terms of like full season excellence. And even he had a really uh, ugly start. You know, I don't know why they walk so many tigers the series. I will say with this last start on, on Sunday, Dylan cease, like they earned their walks against cease. They fouled off a lot of pitches. They dragged out of bats. They wore him down. Like that was a case where cease didn't necessarily start walking guys. He got ground down. So credit the Tigers for that one. You can also say like, well, maybe Cease's stuff is taking a step back if they're fouling off so many pitches, but you know, that's them earning walks. You know, Giolito did not, uh, he gave those walks away. Like he was just flustered. He was, he was battling the pitch clock. He was, uh, you know, kind of tussling with the home plate umpire a little bit in terms of timing. He was off his game. And then, you know, Lance Lynn had some rough spots too. But uh, yeah, there just isn't a star performance on the field. There isn't like an anchor or, or like it just uh, a guy on the field who's just keeping everything in place. You know, Moncada hasn't been there and he's been more or less like pedestrian, you know, since he's come back. Anderson is starting to heat up a little bit at the plate, but it's still kind of low impact singles to right field and such, not really driving the ball and then making mistakes in the field. Robert kind of comes and goes. Uh, Grandal is looking again, like a mid thirties catcher. Andrew Vaughn, you had a nice little game, but he's been more or less slumping. So there isn't a star performance. And if you're looking for star performances, you guys who are basically always there when they were building this, you had to think it was, you know, the core, it was Roberts Anderson, especially since they play up the middle, you know, then Moncada and Jimenez, you know, playing in corners and just nobody is there. And when you have Robert and Anderson making mistakes in the same inning to allow the tying run to score, I think that just makes it a little bit too, too on the nose. Well, I think Ward disagrees with you either from fan graphs and baseball reference about Luis Robert, because baseball reference war loves Luis Robert, Jim. Like he's in the top 10 in American league position players with like five Tampa Bay Rays and three Toronto Blue Jays. Like uh, if you look at the top 10 ranking again, this is war. And again, and we've talked about this and we'll mention it a little bit in the next segment here. When we talk about the white Sox offense a little bit more, Robert has hot weeks, which he's like Eric Davis healthy back in those golden days of the Cincinnati Reds. And he has cold weeks, which he just disappears. And this seems to be a cold week for Luis Robert. With Tim Anderson, ever since Tom Hamilton of the Cleveland Guardians radio team has pointed out that Anderson is not a good defensive shortstop. But again, to defend Tom Hamilton, he has a point from his point of view because he has seen 
excellent defensive shortstops in his time calling Cleveland Indians and now Guardians games, especially Francisco Lindor. Yeah, Tim Anderson's not on the same level. Anderson can make spectacular plays, but I think to Steve Stone's point during the games, it is the routine plays that somehow sometimes get away from Tim Anderson. And that's where Tim Anderson falls behind the pack, comparing him to other shortstops in Major League Baseball. There are plays that Tim Anderson can make because he's got elite athleticism, especially balls hit to his right in the hole, that he can make that range and make a throw, and you go, oh my gosh, how in the world did Tim Anderson make that play? But a bouncer, not hit all that hard from Javier Baez, directly at Tim Anderson, and he gets flustered because for that half second, he doesn't know what to do with the ball, and he loses it in transition, and the game tie and run scores. We're running out of time here, Tim. Like, you are 30 years old. When are we going to learn and how to make these routine plays? When are you going to be a difference maker defensively at short? And if you're not going to be a difference maker at short, this makes the decision for the Chicago White Sox a lot easier in the next two years to move on from you. And I know that you've also pointed out offensively, and we'll talk about the offense after a quick word from our sponsors coming up here, that he's suddenly like Alcides Escobar is what you are referring to, Jim. Now, mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit of a low blow because I never mm -hmm. thought highly of Alcides Escobar and Ned Yost continuing to bat him lead off. A little bit of motivation, I will admit. Like I am, you know, trying to trying to light a fire a little bit. Yeah, but to that point, though, a fire does need to be lit under Tim Anderson. If you're going to be the team leader, man, you're a leader of a 22 and 33 win team right now. Like you needed to at least split this series. And if you truly mm -hmm. are a difference maker, you had to come through in that moment, and you failed. You cannot fail. If you want this team to turn around and get back into contending for the American League Central, like big time players have to make big time plays to back up your argument, Jim. And right now, it just seems like, at, at, agreeing to your point, so many of the big time players for the White Sox suddenly disappear weeks on end. Not not games, weeks, and that definitely needs to stop. Or the White Sox need to start building a new core. Well, you know, to your point, you said Anderson's 30 years old, and I think that basically informs everybody that this is the player he is. And when he's healthy, when he's dynamic, you can overlook the occasional mistakes on routine plays because he's batting 330. He's grabbing extra bases with his legs. He's making some range-based plays that other shortstops don't make. Flagging down pop-ups, he's really good at. Uh, you know, line drives, he's really good at. Like There are some strengths that he has that help shore, his, shore up his defensive numbers. Uh, like I like to think of him as legs plays. Like He makes legs plays. Hands plays uh, sometimes elude him. And when he doesn't have his legs and those legs plays disappear, you either have to hope that like the game... Either the game slows down from enough in the sense that like he's not going full speed, so maybe like 
he, you know, he's not, you know, he's making more plays within his, you know, while his body's under control for his hands to catch up. Uh, but then, you know, the legs aren't into a swing and he's settling for the singles to the right side and, you know, he's not running that much. It was nice to see him make that, uh, that sprint home with the big secondary lead and the good mm -hmm. break scoring. Like that was encouraging. That was very much like a prime Tim Anderson's legs play, uh, that we haven't seen much of. So I like seeing that, but when it comes to like his overall game, you know, he's had these documented weaknesses and he's had these documented issues staying on the field. And, you know, the White Sox, you know, they didn't really do anything about it this offseason. They cut payroll. Um, their big addition was Andrew Benintendi. They did not sign a second baseman. They kind of signed Elvis Andrews at the end, but they did not invest in second base to help patch up, uh, you know, that position. Yeah, you know, the additions they made only can take care of themselves. Like Andrew Benintendi has not come aboard to help cover for another outfield spot as well. Like he can only play left field. He's good for about three wins above replacement per season. You know, he's not going to make up for another position of like weakness by being so great himself. So like if you don't have that guy and you don't have that guy in the infield, like then all of these shortcomings, all of these disappointing performances are just going to play up because who's going to step up and cover for that person. And the white Sox don't have anybody on this roster currently capable of doing that. Um, it's, it's like, you know, thinking about the Tigers and the studs and duds or, or you know, stars and scrubs lineups. Uh, the White Sox had a lot of scrubs, but they don't have stars. Uh, and, and to your point, like Luis Robert, he's, you know, I mentioned, I'm trying to remember where I said this, but I, I thought like he could be like a war superstar, which is different from being like a superstar in the sense that like you, you can kind of game the system a little bit by being a great defender up the middle at a premium position. Like that can give you such a head start towards being like a five or six win player. Mm -hmm. That's but in true. terms of your like your offensive impact uh, being felt week to week, um, that's that can get a little bit more slippery. And the you know impact on the team, especially if a team is like starved for offense, won't be felt as much. So that's kind of where I, I differ or disagree with Robert being a star is like if you know, just the shape of the team, what the team needs from him or what the team needs from a star, I should say, because the team should plan on Robert being hot and cold. He's been that guy for as long as he's been healthy. He's, he's had amazing streaks and really lost stretches. Like, you know, he's just somebody who can't rise up to the level where he's going to be somebody who can, you know, not only be a great center fielder, but make up for a, a below average right fielder as well by producing so much like the way like a Jose Ramirez can mask so much for a team. Like the White Sox don't have that kind of guy, but they do have a lot of guys that Jose Ramirez needed to cover for. And that's where they're, they're getting into trouble here. We're going to continue this discussion about the White Sox bad weekend after a quick word from our sponsor. Take on the sun with gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. And it's finally sunny in Chicago. It's going to feel like summer this week. And with Shady Rays as an independent sunglasses company that offers world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn with durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures, what better way to get some sunglasses for this summer in Chicago. That's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by a lost and broken replacement. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. 
Together with their customers, Shady Rays is providing much-needed support to nonprofit partners across the United States through Shady Rays Impact. From building playsets for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with MS the outdoor adventure of a lifetime, Shady Rays is making an impact in your community and others like it now and for years to come. If you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. The Shady Rays Memorial Day sale is live right now. And if the features don't convince you, go to ShadyRays.com and you get 35% off all sunglasses. Again, that's 35% off all sunglasses on ShadyRays.com. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. As Jim and I continue our discussion about the White Sox, especially offensively, especially with the position players. And if it may sound like we're a bit harsh right now on two of the better players the White Sox have in Tim Anderson and Luis Robert, well, they're 11 games below 500. They're 22 and 33. Unfortunately, the stars are going to have to carry a lot more of the load if they're going to return this around. And the good news offensively is that they are getting healthier. Eloy Jimenez is back, Jim. And like I mentioned, he had a big two-run RBI double for the White Sox in that seventh inning. And he also scored on a shallow sacrifice fly. More of a belly flop at home plate than a... (laughs) Testing his stitches. (laughs) Yeah, testing his stitches on his slide at home. You got to love the effort. So hopefully Eloy in his return back, he was one for three with that big double and scoring the run on the sacrifice fly. Maybe he can help out offensively, but even with the offense getting healthier and we're seeing Elvis Andrews during his rehab start in Charlotte, uh, Romy Gonzalez hitting his first home run of the season. Romy's been hitting a lot better for the White Sox. Even though this offense is getting healthier, Jim, I'm not sure it's getting better. Mm-hmm. They currently rank 26th in Major League Baseball and Team OPS at 681. I don't care how you want to cut it. Any OPS below 700 is not good, especially for a team. They do not hit on the road. They are a 653 Team OPS in the road. At home games, they're at 714. Okay, that's pretty good. But it seems like every team in Major League Baseball, that's where they're hitting is at home because a 714 Team OPS at home ranks 20th in Major League Baseball, they're still in the bottom 10. And you talk about, we talked about Luis Robert. He's on a cold streak. He's three for his last 20 with eight strikeouts during this road trip to Cleveland and Detroit for the Chicago White Sox. But we talked about him in Sox Machine Live, and I promise that we talk about him in this episode, and that's Andrew Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Andrew Vaughn is on pace to hit 18 home runs and drive in 103 RBIs. Now, people will look at that RBI total and say, that is great. That's what the White Sox need. Maybe you guys are right about the Lyle Overbay comp. He's not going to hit a lot of home runs, but he's going to hit a lot of doubles. But if he drives in over 100 RBIs, that replaces the production that Jose Abreu left. Andrew Vaughn right now is hitting 238 with a 313 on base percentage, and he's slugging 406. That's not good. And when you compare it to other first basemen in Major League Baseball, Andrew Vaughn is like a bottom five first baseman. Now, he's ranked ahead of Jose Abreu, which Abreu hit his first home run of the season over the weekend in Oakland. So congrats to Pito for finally getting on the board. But man, this is his third season, Jim. 
And he's got weird stats. Like, and we talked about this in the playback in the watch party on Saturday. When there's runners on base, doesn't matter where they're on base and how many outs. If there's runners on base, Andrew Vaughn's got an OPS well above a thousand, which is amazing. If no one's on base, he's got an OPS below 500, which is just baffling. His OPS in his career at Comerica Park, which is the stadium for the Detroit Tigers, is well above 900. And it's more than 200 points better at Guarantee Ray Field. He does not hit well at all at home. And Guarantee Ray Field is one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks in Major League Baseball. We are two, almost two and a half seasons into Andrew Vaughn's career. He goes into arbitration next year for those that are worried about the team budget. I've been watching him since he was a junior at Cal preparing for that MLB draft. I've been following him for a while. I don't know what to make of him. If you ask me, is Andrew Vaughn good? I don't know. Is Andrew Vaughn bad? I don't know. Should Andrew Vaughn be sent to Charlotte? I don't know. And that's a problem, Jim. Over 1,200 plate appearances, and I still don't know what to make of Andrew Vaughn. And when it comes to bases empty performances, the White Sox have the worst OPS in the league, even worse than Oakland. That's one area where like somebody is worse than Oakland. They're hitting uh, 222, wow. 276 OBP, 348 slugging. And so, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, Vaughn, I've heard, you know, seen the defense on Sox machine and elsewhere saying like he, he you know, he, he's getting hits when it counts. That is true. You know, and, and that's not nothing. But he's also part of the problem in the sense that, like, when the offense is dead, they're dead for innings. Like, Eduardo Rodriguez can, uh, you know, shut him down from innings three through six, I believe it was. And, you know, bullpens can come in and retire 13 of 14. And just nobody can get anything going. Nobody can produce, like, a quick quick jolt uh, of of a solo homer or anything like that. And, you know, that's, it kind of felt like that. And then, like, I just looked it up right now just to see, like, you know, how out of place Andrew Vaughn was with the uh, White Sox. And no, he, he has a lot of company in the, in struggling with the bases empty. So yeah, it's, um, it's weird. It's it, like, it, that's why I keep coming back to the same, same kind of thing. Like I, I think James Fox made the points on Twitter because Spencer, Spencer Torkelson was in the same series and he was a number one overall pick. Another guy yeah. who was first base only. There was some idea of maybe playing him at third in the pros, but that never came to be just like people wondered whether Andrew Vaughn could play anywhere else besides first. And, you know, he didn't, did not play anywhere else <laughs> with the White Sox. Playing the outfield did not play it well enough to say he was an outfielder. Uh, James made the point that, you know, is anybody ever going to draft a first baseman in the top five again or anytime soon just because of how high the threshold for success is if they are just an ordinary hitter. And I think if you look at Vaughn as just like an ordinary hitter uh, who happens to play a position that renders ordinary hitters uh, below average contributors, I think that's probably the fairest at this point. Uh, Maybe it's not necessarily fair that the White Sox rushed him to the majors and he's kind of been making it up as he goes along, but that's kind of where he is to me right now. Just an average hitter who has good moments and bad moments. And he just does not offer a whole lot else besides some like decent first base play. He's played an okay first, but that's about it. But I think a lot of guys can play an okay first. Uh, and so that necess- that, that just basically 
makes him not special. And it's rough when you have top five picks in between like Vaughn and Madrigal, like both of them are not special. Before Sunday's game, and when you guys listen to this podcast, you can go to Baseball Reference to see the update. After 313 games with the Chicago White Sox in his career, Andrew Vaughn has a zero war. Zero. And before you point out, well, he played left field defensively that sunk his war. Andrew Vaughn's OPS plus for his career is 101. So he's 1% better than league average. And we knew, and I wrote about this a lot back in 2019, he's supposed to be a special hitter. He's got the tools to be a special hitter. I thought he could be someone like Paul Konerko. He's not even close to that. And if you're looking for someone to help with the offense, to your point, I, I, I want to ask this, Jim. So again, the White Sox are the worst team in baseball hitting-wise with, runner, with runners not on base. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So the White Sox are the worst team in baseball in trying to get runners on base. Yes. <laughs> that is a gigantic problem, right? If you are the worst team in baseball getting guys on base, that is a gigantic problem. Your first baseman for any contending team should be helping you getting on base. They may not be helping you in the speed department, but when it comes to power, slugging percentage, and walks on base percentage, they should be helping you getting on base and Vaughn's not doing either of that. So while we're kind of piling it on Tim Anderson, and Luis Robert after this weekend that they need to step up. And if the white Sox want to turn this around, Andrew Vaughn needs to be thrown into that pile. Uh, Jake Berger can't hit on the road. I mean, he's four for 27 in this road trip, 10 strikeouts, no walks. If you want a conspiracy theory and say that Jake Berger's cheating when he's playing home games, you give me three old fashions, I might start believing you and buying into that conspiracy theory. I would need to be <laughs> drunk, Josh, to buy into that theory. I can't explain why he has gigantic home and away splits. I, I just, I can't. The White Sox brought I pitch along with them for this road trip. That's not the excuse. I don't know what is going on. Why Jake Berger seems to be an all-star when he's hitting at home. And he looks like a guy who should be in Charlotte when the White Sox on the road. Like that, that's just incredibly weird to me. And it, it's bad. It, it's really bad. I thought he almost had a home run on Sunday. Great play by Riley Green in center field to rob Jake Berger that home run. But even if he hit that home run, I, he's five for 27. It, that's still, that's still not good for Jake Berger. So again, this offense is getting healthier. Elvis Andrews could be returning for the White Sox and they got some more roster shuffling there. Eloy Jimenez is back. Gavin Sheets has been hitting here and there for the White Sox and coming up with big moments. They're going to be healthy here. And that's what everyone is saying. Wait until we get healthy. But I'm not sold that with this offense getting healthy, that they're a good offense, Jim. And it's hard when you were looking at like all these metrics, like what is the one thing to focus on? I think you brought it up. Their ability or inability to get guys on base when you're the worst, you, when you are worse than the Oakland A's who are on pace to win 28 games this season and getting guys on base, that's step one. You got to figure out a way to get guys on base. 
And that brings it back to the conversation from Sunday in extra innings with the 10th inning runner on second base is Luis Robert. One of the fastest guys he got on base. Alex Lane, the Detroit Tigers closer against Andrew Vaughn, Yasmani Grandal through one strike in that inning, which was a fly out from Jake Berger because he could, and he proves in the borderline. theory. You don't need to throw strikes against the White Sox. They will get themselves out. And maybe that particular inning is just a, a a micro inning that shows the macro problem. And it's just not Anderson and Robert that are hot and cold. It's everyone in this lineup. And I don't know why it's a systematic problem for the White Sox, Jim. Yeah, I think when it comes to those moments and thinking about, like you mentioned, Andrew Vaughn, 101 OPS+. Plus, if you were playing first base with that production, he'd probably be like a one to two win player, depending on whether he played like 140 games or 160. Uh, that's the kind of like Yolmer Sanchez was like a two win player, but he had to work hard for those two wins. He had to win a gold and glove he, to win. Yeah, he had to win a gold glove. Yeah. And just had to be, you know, available all the time to get there. Juan Pierre was a similar like two win player, but he had to play 160 games and get 700 plate appearances and record 200 hits just to overcome all his other weaknesses. Like Vaughn is kind of a similar thing going in which, you know, he might be average, but only if he soaks up all the plate appearances. And when it comes to like Gavin Sheets, you know, he's got a career OPS plus around like 106. Um, and he's, you know, he's a bit different because he's a platoon bat. He only faces righties. If he faced lefties, uh, then that would be a lot lower. But in terms of impact, in terms of like day-to-day, um, yeah, I guess real baseball value, he's not that far behind. Uh, and that's, I think, what is disappointing about Vaughn is the just first base is such a high threshold that if you're not getting it done, there are a lot of guys who can kind of get it done. Mm -hmm. And I think she's one of those guys who can kind of get it done and you don't have to necessarily sink, you know, top five draft pick to get that guy or, you know, multi-year contracts to get that guy like CJ Crone. Is always I was around, just going to mention him. Yeah. yeah. To hit 30 homers for somebody and be around, you know, two to three wins above replacement. Like those guys are, theoretically are always around uh so that's why vaughn i think it, it, the conversation's tough around him because the expectations are naturally higher for a guy who can't play anywhere else besides first base and uh and it's also just a cluster thing where you know if other guys were covering for him then he could have a cold week and be fine but when nobody uh during this road trip is you know reliably getting on base or providing impactful hits except for you know Anderson had a nice little stretch Gavin Sheets has been fine Romy Gonzalez when he's played has had some moments but otherwise you know the there been it's been pretty arid so i think uh you know it does require a lot more scrutiny just for all the guys who should be contributing because like if none of them are then all of them are theoretically exposed and and the white Sox had a big offensive explosion on friday against detroit and that was fun to see. And they scored five runs on Sunday. But it, it's all big innings for the White Sox. Yeah. It's not it's not consistent. And that's, This was April. Yeah, this is April. And as I mentioned the intro, I'm going to mention now. So why is this a big deal? 40 of the next 43 games for the White Sox are against non-American League Central teams. The White Sox current winning percentage outside of games against the American League Central is three and thirteen. If that holds steady in those forty games against non AL Central teams, the White Sox will go thirteen to twenty seven in those games. 
So suddenly they go from <laughs> 11 games below 500 to 25 games below 500. <laughs> and they're a week and a half away from the trade deadline. And uh, yeah, when you're 25 games below 500, the American League Central would have to be historically bad. The worst division in the history of Major League Baseball for the White Sox to still be in this. And it, it, these next 43 games, and they do have a series next weekend at home against Detroit, but after that series at home to start the month of June, they don't face another American League Central team until Minnesota after the All-Star break in late July to conclude their road trip after the All-Star break where they go to Atlanta and to Queens to face the New York Mets, and that is a really steep road trip when you look at the calendar. If they're going to find a way to climb out of this hole, the offense needs to pick it up, Jim. And it's not, oh, they could go 20-20. No, they're 11 games below 500. If you want Mm -hmm. them to buy, if you want them to be in contention, they got to go like 25-15 in these 40 games. Maybe it's possible, but again, they have a current winning percentage of 313 outside the American League Central. And if... The only way I could see them going 25 and 15 is if the offense picks it up and the big players like Luis Robert, Tim Anderson, Andrew Vaughn start performing a lot more consistently. If they don't, then yeah, we're going to be coming up with trade ideas for Lucas Giolito and Joe Kelly and whomever for the White Sox because we're going to be looking at a historically terrible season for the White Sox. Yeah, I'm looking at that June calendar, just staring at midweek road trips, uh, Yankees and then Dodgers, middle of the week, 6th through the 8th, and then 13th through the 15th, and then they go to Seattle, the Rangers are in town, the Rangers are uh, run differential kings right now, so it's rough, and thinking about this series, uh, you know, I think a split would have been fine, especially given the way we saw the games unfold, I think, you know, 3 out of 4 would have been optimal entering the series but having the opportunity to steal two games that they look dead in uh even if like joe kelly had that burp uh because he was due for just a bad outing after how dominated he was that would have been unfortunate but losing two of those games losing two of those 50 50 games uh they already lost enough of those games like yeah the hawk harrelson thing every team wins 60 loses 60 the 42 that matter and like they pretty much exhausted the 42 at this point with how many games they could have won uh, if they just had uh, decent relief pitching or if they had an offense that could score in more than one inning or if they had uh, starters like, you know, not losing Dylan C starts, even if we now think uh, Cease is just like a little bit uh, diminished or, you know, Lance Lynn, you know, having the rough start he had. Like so many things have gone wrong to eat into those games that, you know, there are the toss up games that they have to be like either better than they've ever shown this season or just get really lucky with these high leverage situations. So to go back to Liam Hendricks, like they do need him more than you'd want them to need him just because they're going to need all of the, uh, all the tricks, like all the tricks to beat run differential and all the tricks to like beat Pythag. All of them are going to be necessary. Like clutch hits, like insane runners in scoring position performances, uh, really great at protecting one run leads. Like these are the ways you beat expectations and, and ruin projections and uh, 
you know, get get it to where you say like, oh, they only give us a three percent chance to make the postseason. Look at us now. Like, it's always on the margins. Like maximizing the margins, and the White Sox pretty much have to start doing that now. And that's why I think you know, I don't. I wish it weren't so crucial for Liam Hendricks to be helpful. Like, I, I wish he could just be a member of the bullpen, like occupy a Jose Ruiz-like role in terms of offering helpful innings here and there and then maybe working your way up the ladder. But no, they're going to need everything. Maybe not him closing out every single game, but they're going to need him contributing because we're seeing what it looks like when Garrett Crochet isn't quite ready to contribute and, and the hopes that have evaporated a little bit with just finding that impactful lefty from within. So it's, it's going to be tough. Let's get ready for the next series as the Los Angeles Angels come into town. We preview those games next after a quick word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, the Los Angeles Angels coming to town, which is always fun because you get a chance to see two of the best players in Major League Baseball, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Otani will not be pitching in this series. He just pitched against the Marlins over the weekend. The Angels are in fourth place in the American League West, and just like the Chicago White Sox, they're six games back of first place. But the Angels are 28-26. and 26. If they were in the American League Central, they would be leading the American League Central by half a game. They have lost their last three games, and in their last 10 games, they have won six of their last 10. Away from Anaheim, they're 13-13 this season, and they're 5-4 against the American League Central for this season. Offensively, the team has an OPS of 750, which is top 10 in Major League Baseball, but they're just a 718 OPS on the road, which is 18th in Major League Baseball. So there's a little bit difference there for the Angels hitting between home and away. As far as their staff ERA, they're middle of the road, 4.16. That's 15th in Major League Baseball. The starting pitchers have a 4.54 staff ERA. That's 18th in Major League Baseball. The bullpen, top 10 in Major League Baseball. A bit of surprise coming out of Anaheim. The bullpen is a 3.60 ERA. That's good for ninth in Major League Baseball. The White Sox are 20th in starting pitching ERA, and they are still second to last in the bullpen. That's how bad that they pitched in April, and despite their hot spurt for the relievers, they're still just slightly ahead of Oakland in the bullpen rankings in Major League Baseball. The pitching problems for this series, Monday night at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, Griffith Cannon will be making the start for the Angels against Michael Kopak. 
On Tuesday night, Tyler Anderson, a lefty, will be taking on Lucas Giolito, who's hoping to bounce back. That game's at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. And getaway day on Wednesday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, Jaime Barrera will be making the start for the Angels against Lance Lynn. And when it comes to this series, Jim, let's look at Michael Kopech. In his last two outings, spectacular, historical, First White Sox pitcher to have back-to-back starts of going seven-plus innings, allowing two or fewer hits, zero runs, and striking out more than nine batters. But that was against Kansas City and Cleveland, bottom three offenses in Major League Baseball. Now he's getting a chance to face the Angels, who have two of the best hitters in baseball in Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. So the competition level hangs up here. Mm-hmm. Are you still expecting Michael Kopech to continue to dominate, or what are your expectations of Kopech against this Angels lineup? I think he can. I mean, there are a couple pitchers who, and I think you're both with Atlanta, basically, who ride that fastball and throw other pitches because it helps the fastball. Like Spencer Strider, I think, is like the ultimate fastball guy. And Kopech, when he's on this kind of role where he you know, seems to have gotten his release point, Uh, on point that he can just keep locating that fastball in the upper half of the zone or slightly above it and get that extra ride, get that extra hop that just makes hitters not square it up, pop it up, foul it off, uh, get in a bad counts and then either be put away by the slider or just be on guard for everything and be even later on the fastball. So it is an elite pitch. Now the way he's throwing it, it may not be as easy. It may not be like hot knife through butter like he was with the uh, uh, AL Central teams. But I'm, you know, I can very rarely say this about the 23, 23 White Sox, but like I'm looking forward to this game. Like as a baseball fan, as somebody who likes understanding how stuff works and testing uh, good stuff against good bats like the angels i think are kind of thoroughly middle of the pack in all regards like as a team like they have great players they have bad players they have good starters bad starters you both like it's it all kind of washes out to be uh 500 or slightly better but they have guys that need to be pitched around or pitch carefully to and the fun thing is like kopech doesn't really pitch carefully he just attacks you know when he's on this mode he just attacks 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 like uh you know, you're his problem. Hitters aren't his, you know, like Kopech establishes himself as the problem at the at-bat to solve and not the hitter. So that's fun. And if he gets beat up throwing his best, like, okay, like, you know, it's, it's kind of bad news for the White Sox, but also like he was doing something that worked and he deserves to keep doing what has worked until it doesn't. He has to adjust. So uh, that's why I want to see the start. You know, I'm really looking forward to it because it's just fun as a baseball fan to see something click and then, you know, see the degree of difficulty ramp up. Like the dynamic uh, difficulty setting has now gone from veteran to all-star and can he handle uh, the, the change or will the computer cheat on him when he looks like he has it going and just be like uh, throwing his controller. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Shohei Otani and Mike Trout lead the angels with 12 home runs. Hunter Renfro has 10 home runs for the angels. Mike Trout's uh, Mike Trout's face. Hunter Renfro. Uh, Trout's got an 889 OPS that leads the Angels for the regular. Shohei Itani's got an 849 OPS. So it's easy to circle those two guys as far as in the lineup to see on how 
Kopech handles them. And of course, Hunter Renfro with those 10 home runs, he'll surprise you. When you look at the rest of the Angels lineup, to your point, Jim, hopefully Kopech could be able to navigate through it. Anthony Rendon, weird season for him. Uh, he's got a 784 OPS, and people will point at his 301 batting average, and that's good. And his 415 on base percentage is excellent. He's just looking 369. Rendon only has one home run this season and four doubles, so he's got 31 hits. 26 of them have gone for singles. And he's got 19 walks and 15 strikeouts. Now, if he was a speedster, you'd say awesome profile. Uh, mm-hmm. Anthony Rendon is not that <laughs> by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Uh, and he's getting paid like $35 million a season to play third base for the angels. So we'll see on how Rendon does, but a underlying factor here. And we know that how guarantee rate field plays when the weather warms up, Jim and in Chicago this week, it's going to feel like summer. Finally, Monday night, 75 degrees, Tuesday night in the eighties, Wednesday during the day, it could reach up to 91 degrees. Is this an underlying factor that we should be concerned about when it comes to the White Sox pitchers? Because boy, they do like to give up home runs this season. It is a concern. It's also like a, um, something White Sox hitters have to, um, have to take advantage Focus of on. yeah just it like the, the <laughs> conversation has to, you know it goes both ways you have to say the pitcher's like okay got to be careful now because those routine fly balls to the right side are going to keep drifting uh you'll also say the hitter's like okay get the ball in the air like make better choices you have to make you know decent contact goes a long way here in the summer so you know watching those at bats against alex lang uh you know 12 pitches out of the zone like andrew vaughn and um and Yasmani Grandal, three whiffs apiece for their strikeouts. Like that kind of, that stuff has to stop uh, in order to have uh, a functioning offense. To go back to the idea of hitting with the bases empty, like solo homers are huge. Just in terms of like uh, getting a quick run here, uh, a 350 foot homer inside the foul pole. Like these are the things that are possible, guaranteed rate field. These are ways to keep your offense afloat when you're not. Uh, functioning as a unit like Romy Gonzalez had the right idea against Eduardo Rodriguez like a cheap homer like just barely over the left field wall great that's that's a big part of playing a guaranteed right field so uh the the bases empty performance has to improve even if they're not going to be like the classic uh keep the line moving offense where they just grind down a pitcher with seven pitch plate appearances and nine pitch plate appearances no they're going to be quick you know this has the uh uh this offense has the ability to be a quick strike unit, but it you know, requires getting the ball in the air and not chasing, you know, not being fooled into swinging at a first pitch breaking ball that's at the knees because you saw a fastball out of his hand. Like that's the kind of stuff that has to, uh, it's not going to dry up on them or stop because they are the White Sox, but they do have like the raw muscle to do a little bit more. And this weather does have the ability to help ordinary hitters look better like Gavin Sheets last year like that 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 home park boost for guys who can hit fly balls with some backspin uh it's on them too to even out the ledger uh, and uh and compensate for the cheap homers that the White Sox pitching staff will inevitably give up the White Sox have the American League's worst ground ball to fly ball rate only the Milwaukee Brewers and Miami Marlins as a team hit more grounders than fly balls 
Uh, and then the Cleveland Guardians are right behind the White Sox in the American League, and we know how bad that <laughs> offense is. So, ball yeah. in air in this series, White Sox. Ball in air. We 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 have really piled on to the offense here, uh, especially after this weekend. And you know, this week started off well. They they shocked Cleveland. They won two out of three. And if they split in Detroit, to your point earlier, Jim. That's a successful week for the White Sox, but end up going three on the f- three and four after winning a series in Cleveland. It's just like they cannot continue this momentum, and they're sputtering. And if they w- if, honestly, guys, if you think that they can come back and win this division, they really need to get hot, or they're going to go down this slippery slope. And I don't even want to imagine what their record will be in July. And the good news is they go to Oakland at the end of June and to start July. So hopefully those games go well for the White Sox, but they got some really tough matchups coming up. And they, as a team, now that they're getting healthier, they all got to play better. So we'll see if that starts a new streak here for the White Sox on Memorial Day at home against the Angels in warmer weather. After this series against the Angels, they get the Thursday off and then the Detroit Tigers come into town before the White Sox have to head to the Bronx to face the New York Yankees. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And of course, we'll recap the games on SoxMachine.com this week and we'll have the White Sox wake-up calls as well. And we'll have Sox Machine Live during the midweek to recap the action against the Angels and preview the upcoming series against the Detroit Tigers. If you like college baseball, specifically if you like 2023 MLB draft coverage, a lot is going to be coming your way as the college baseball season is wrapped up. The conference tournaments on Monday, we will get the seedings and the regional postseason schedule. So a lot is happening when it comes to the 2023 Major League Baseball draft. There will be more scouting reports and analysis coming your way. So if you have been checked out in the draft, but now you're very interested to see what happens to the White Sox in the near future, a lot more draft coverage will be coming your way, especially when it comes to the college players analysis this week on SoxMachine.com. So that's what to look forward to. Anything else to promote, Jim? Have a P.O. Sox mailbag posted late uh, last week and have a second part of it for a few more questions that I want to take a little bit more time with uh, coming up in the next probably 24 to 36 hours. So look for that as well. And then month in the box is around the corner as well. So those are the exclusive posts for Patreon supporters. And of course, you could read up on the minor league recaps as well on SoxMachine.com. You never know. What you'll read, like Oscar Colas running into a triple play and just how bad can the Birmingham Barons be? I'm sorry, I'd be a little sarcastic there. There is some good news on the minor league front, but of course you could read that every day. On the minor <laughs> it's league all in recap. Winston-Salem. It's all in Winston. Hey, the Charlotte Knights have had a pretty good winning streak, but then again, they, they lost like 20 before yeah. recently. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but that'll do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered Sox Machine, you can follow us on Twitter or at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Those are also our Instagram handles. We post videos and the podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, which you can watch those videos at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel as well there. And for the podcast, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. 
And if you enjoy your work and want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, and new Socks Machine swag when it's in the Socks Machine store. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.